Welcome back into First Draft. I am Field Yates, and I am joined by the man who needs no introduction. If you like the NFL Draft, if you've been following it for the past 40-plus years, you know Mel Kuyper Jr. is the voice of authority on all things NFL Draft. Mel, the NFL regular season is over. The college football season is over. That means, my friend, it is officially draft season. It is, Phil. Let's tee it up, man. I've got four months to go and a lot to talk about. Quarterbacks at the top. A lot of teams with decisions to make, starting with the Chicago Bears. Do you stick with Justin Fields or do you go away from Justin Fields, trade him, and draft Caleb Williams? So a lot of debate. The battle for that second quarterback spot, Jaden Daniels and Drake May. Where are we with Michael Penix Jr. after a subpar performance last night? Where are we with J.J. McCarthy after not having to carry a team on his shoulders during his career at Michigan? Uh, it's going to be really fun. And there's other players in this draft, by the way, Field, as you all well know, beyond the quarterback. So it's going to be a lot of fun. What a great ride it will be between now and late April. Well, to your point, Mel, look at right now. The NFL's Offensive Rookie of the Year award is coming down to two gentlemen. C.J. Stroud, the second overall pick in the draft, who some people thought the Texans might have put themselves in a bind by dropping to pick number two in week 18 last year and having to, quote-unquote, settle for C.J. Stroud. The other man who was in the race for Offensive Rookie of the Year is Puka Nakua, a fifth-round pick who the Rams admitted themselves was going to test poorly during the pre-draft process. He did. That was part of the reason why he dropped to the fifth round. He recently set the record for most receptions and receiving yards by a rookie in NFL history. A couple of bookkeeping reminders or notifications, I should say, for those that are joining us here on First Draft. Of course, you can get our podcast wherever you subscribe to your various podcasts. Subscriptions plus ratings and reviews are always appreciated. Moreover, we are going to be back twice a week now from now until the NFL Draft. Normally, on Mondays, we're going to be live on YouTube at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and also on ESPN2, probably around 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Mondays, meanwhile on Thursdays. Also, back, another live edition on YouTube. Mel and I get the fancy studios on Monday. Obviously, it is great to be in this setup, and we got so much to dive into, Mel, but we can begin, as you mentioned, with the national championship game last night. We'll talk about prospects in just a moment, but just your general feel on how this game shook out and the year and the season that Michigan just completed. What a year it was uh, with all the different things that went on there with that football team, with Jim Harbaugh and Sharon Moore, and think about what happened with Zach Zinter, their best offensive lineman, getting hurt against Ohio State. Fortunately, it looks like he may be ready for his pro day, certainly ready for NFL training camp, which is great news. But last night, there was not that scintillating performance by the quarterback. This wasn't Vince Young, Matt Leinart yeah. from the early 2000s. This was two quarterbacks that both – struggled at times, didn't get some help at times in terms of J.J. McCarthy. You know, Colston Loveland had a key drop. Cornelius Johnson had a key drop for Michael Penix Jr. He was like a pitcher field who didn't bring, didn't have his good stuff. Mm. Didn't certainly bring anywhere close to an A game. Was airmailing some throws. I think the inside pressure that bothers quarterbacks more than anything else by two true sophomores, Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant, those two players were as responsible for what happened to Michael Penix Jr. as anybody field. And certainly we saw plenty of opportunities. Romo Dunze open at times and not 
able to connect. So I think when you look, even some ball placement issues on the play that was broken up, the pass play to Polk, look, ball placement not ideal. So for Michael Penix Jr., it's one game. We saw Caleb Williams struggle mightily against Notre Dame. Do you throw it out? I guess you can. Uh, are, are some people going to say, hey, this defines what he was in terms of the where they thought he should be? If you thought he should be higher, you got to move him back a bit. How do you react to this one performance of Michael Penix Jr.? Everybody's going to have varying opinions on that field. I'm going to probably move him down just a bit because mm. we saw when the – he didn't do – the Texas game field, he manipulated the pocket. Yes, he, he slipped, did. he slid, was sliding, he was throwing accurate balls. He was harassed some, but it didn't bother him. He looked comfortable. He looked relaxed, unfazed. Last night, the exact opposite. So I said on Get Up this morning, top five pick based on a Texas game, maybe third, fourth, fifth round based on last night. So where do we even it all out? I'd say somewhere mid to late first round is probably a good spot. Some would say second round based on the injury history. So I think we're going to be all over the place in terms of opinions and varying round projections and projections overall for where Michael Penix Jr. should be come late April. Yeah, you might as well just continue that conversation surrounding Michael Penix Jr., Mel, because he is going to be one of the most discussed players for the next three and a half months because of this unbelievable season. I mean, the guy was second in the Heisman voting finishing only behind Jaden Daniels at LSU. And because he's a quarterback, we're going to discuss him a lot. You laid out some of the factors there. I think when I uh, assess the draft uh, stock or prospects for Michael Penix Jr. Mel, I think more so than any of the other quarterbacks that are going to probably be in the first-round conversation, maybe even the first overall conversation, there are some factors that Michael Penix Jr. brings to the table that are less negotiable in my mind. Amongst those, you mentioned the health, right? He's had four season-ending injuries in his college career. Now, those were all in the first four years of his career. Over the past two seasons at Washington, he has stayed healthy, and health has not been an issue for him. You're either comfortable with the medicals or you're not, Mel. And you and I are not doctors. We are not team doctors for the NFL who are making recommendations to our staff about, hey, if that knee that he's torn the ACL twice in is once again busted, he might never return. We don't know that kind of information. Beyond that, Mel, the age may or may not bother some people. He'll be 24 a week after the draft. To me, not as much of a factor. Joe Burrow was 23 when he was drafted. Jaden Daniels will be 23 when he is drafted. But for Michael Penix Jr., it's going to be, as you said, how much weight are you putting into the full body of work this season versus the few games? There weren't many, but there were few where he looked more mortal, Right. Last night was certainly one of them. There was a game against Arizona State earlier this year that Washington won 15-7. to They didn't score an offensive touchdown in that game. They still found a way to win because they're a better team than Arizona State is, but some of those moments are going to stick out for people that are either pro or Kyle Michael Penix Jr. Do you think, though, when you say a player, a quarterback is going to go late first round, to me what that often screams, Mel, is a guy who on overall grade – is not one of your top 32, but because of the positional value and because of the fifth-year option available to first-round picks, he goes in the first round. Is that about how you would size up Michael Penix Jr.? You know, it's, I don't know if I would agree totally, Feel because you go back to last year with Will Levis. It's kind of similar situation. Mm -hmm. Will went Penn State to Kentucky, two years at Kentucky, and we were arguing last year about 
safety weigh heavily a year where he was banged up behind a horrible offensive line at Kentucky, or do you factor it in? I said throw it out because he was so beat up from start to finish and didn't have that supporting cast around him, didn't have help from the O-line, and ironically at Tennessee with the Titans this year, he didn't get any help. Tannehill didn't get any help. No quarterback was getting any help behind that bad offensive line, and they were all beat up. Tannehill hurt, then Will got in there and showed well, then got hurt, couldn't even finish out the year in the final game. So I think for Will Levis, I had a higher grade than a lot of people did because I didn't factor in that final year like some did. He went early second round. If Will Levis is an early second round pick field, Michael Penix Jr., to me, can't be better than an early second round pick. Mm. If you want to go apples to apples there. I think to go back to Jordan Love, late first round, ironically, Aaron Rodgers slid to the late first round. Green Bay got both players. So I think when you look at this, it really hinges upon really one key element for Michael Penix. The durability concern, the injuries. If the medical is fine, and you can look at last night as just a throw-it-out game, Michigan's defense had all the answers. Obviously, you think about you know, good pitching stops, good hitting in baseball. The interior pressure really bothered him, and you saw him last night gutting it out, barely surviving till the finish. And I give him a lot of credit. Look at the toughness he showed there with Kalen DeBoer holding those ribs and getting hit and pounded. So for Michael Penix Jr., I think he deserves to be in the first-round discussion, no doubt about it. If you had him as a mid-first going into last night, I'm not going to kill him for last night. So again, I think he's going to be a tough evaluation for a lot of teams, as Will Levis was last year coming out of Kentucky. Yeah, with Penning, so you know this much though, Mel. If he has time and space, he is an absolute surgeon with his arm, right? He showed that all season. That's why he had that ridiculous year. I mean, he led the uh, entire country in passing yards, had 35 passing touchdowns. The numbers are just off the charts. I think the questions for those that are not totally sold on Michael Penix will be, he doesn't have as much ability for the second reaction plays as the top quarterbacks in this class do, right? Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, Drake May, all guys that when things aren't going right up front with your offensive line, have a few more tools at their disposal to turn nothing into something. Penix was great in that regard against Texas. Last night, it caught up to him. Uh, My top 25 big board will be out on Thursday. Penix, a player that will be in the discussion. We'll talk about that more on Thursday. Let's do the other quarterback in this game, Mel, uh, because J.J. McCarthy uh, is, of course, to the uh, to the victor goes the spoils, or some are wondering, after leading Michigan to a national championship, their first during the college football playoff era. Is J.J. McCarthy now a first-round quarterback prospect? What say you to that question? I think it's borderline. I would say probably not right now. And I, he's in my top 25 barely field. I don't know if he'll be there after this week. I'm going to go back to that game last night where he had the hot start. And again, you keep waiting for that wow performance. And guess what? You just didn't get it with J.J. McCarthy. And he hasn't gotten it during his career. I look at the numbers, okay? 25 or fewer pass attempts in 10 games yeah. this year. Think about not throwing interceptions. Last 12 games, he threw one pick. That was late in the first half against Maryland, which was a costly pick. We all remember the three picks against Bowling Green earlier this year. That was it until the Maryland game. We all remembered a couple picks, the pick sixes against TCU last year in the semifinal game. Outside that, he did, he threw hardly any interceptions. So he's game manager. He's athletic. We saw him have that key run last night. You see here, this was a pivotal part of the game where they needed to get out of the hole. It was a competitive game at that point, one score game. He needed to flip the field a little bit in terms of field position. He was able to do that. Uh, the kid is spunky. He's competitive. Uh, Jim, Jim Harbaugh raised about that aspect of, of his play. 
He can make the throws you need to make. Does he lock on? Does he see the field well enough? He kind of threw a couple balls last night. The one to Colston Loveland should have been caught was a key third down pass. The play to Cornelius Johnson hit him in stride, dropped. So he didn't get some help when he did throw the ball on a couple of occasions. And that scramble showed how he can move, how he can beat you with his legs, how he can create with his legs and beat you running the football as he did at various times at Michigan. So he's another tough evaluation because I, I would argue I didn't see a game where he had to carry this team on his shoulders. And that, wow, yes, he's a defined first-round pick type of game we didn't have. So, yeah, I can see why you would look at him right now and say, best you could see for J.J. McCarthy, maybe second round. Mel, I can guarantee you one thing about J.J. McCarthy. There will be no consensus opinion on what he is. Because there are going to be people that need a quarterback in the first round that are going to say to themselves, this kid has terrific accuracy. His arm strength is fine. It's not spectacular, but it's not terrible. This is not a noodle arm. Competitiveness, and by the way, this applies to Michael Penix as well, off the charts. Both of these guys have great competitive spirits, and they're great leaders. That has been made very clear by both of their coaches during this entire process of this full season of college football. He's a very good athlete, as you noted, as well. But ultimately, there's going to be no consensus because there's not enough exposure. You mentioned How about this? Over the last six games of the season for for Michigan, five of which I would say were massive games, Penn State, Ohio State, the Big Ten Championship against Iowa, who of course they crush, but still, it's the Big Ten Championship game, Alabama, last night Washington, and then that sixth game against Maryland. J.J. McCarthy in those six games, 857 passing yards, four touchdowns, one interception. That's like two games for Michael Penix Jr., right? I mean, I'm not saying that the style of play that Michigan plays is the same as somebody like Washington or LSU or USC, but 857 passing yards in six games tells you that J.J. McCarthy simply didn't have that many high-leverage reps that teams can say, that proves he can be a bona fide long-term starter in the NFL It also doesn't mean that there's a bunch of plays where you say, eh, I'm not so sure about him. So I think that while J.J. McCarthy has a real shot to go in the first round because quarterbacks tend to rise up the boards, anybody who's telling you that unanimously the NFL feels this way about J.J. McCarthy, I think is lying directly to your face. I'm with you, Field, on that. I look back to Dak Prescott, great career at Mississippi State for Dan Mullen. He went in the fourth round. You know, when you look at Dak Prescott, he had plenty wow moments in Mississippi State, right? Yeah. Uh, did J.J. McCarthy have those? No. So if how is Dak Prescott a fourth-round pick and J.J. McCarthy a first-round pick? Kirk Cousins at Michigan State had a lot of wow moments. He had some great games, right? He went to fourth round, okay? So to me, if you look at those two, you say, boy, first round is a stretch. It's a reach uh, for J.J. McCarthy. And I thought going into last night, would we see that? Because you had Washington's defense, that wasn't a strength of their team. But also the defense of J.J. Here's a defense field. He didn't have – the one area that Jim Harbaugh did not recruit a big-time player was wide receiver. You know, anybody close to a Marvin Harrison Jr., Chris Olave, a Garrett Wilson, and even a Mecca Abuka, okay? You didn't have any Romo Dunze, Jalen Polk, uh, Jalen McMillan. You you didn't have those kind of guys. So you had Roman Wilson – you had Cornelius Johnson. You had a freshman, Samaj Morgan. You had Colson Loveland and A.J. Barner at tight end. So you didn't have those weapons at wide receiver to throw to, to be that go-to dynamic player. So I think that's a defense of J.J. McCarthy as to why they felt like, hey, we got to bludgeon people with our line that went about eight, nine deep. 
and run the ball with Corum. And it seems like Donovan Edwards against Ohio State or in this game last night, you give him a crease, he's going to take it to the house. Okay, he's going to go. He didn't have a great year running the football, uh, you know, but he did last night when he gave him a little bit of an opening and he can go downhill and break the long gainer. So for J.J., you'd have liked to see him have that go-to guy. He didn't have it. He managed the game well. He did a lot of great things. He's competitive. But to say first round, have I seen enough? Have you seen enough? Have we all seen enough? I don't think so. Mel, I don't think he'll do this. I think J.J. McCarthy should return to Michigan for one more season. Truly, if, if, if the bottom line objective is to improve your draft stock, I think one more season at Michigan would really help J.J. McCarthy put himself more firmly in that first-round mix. I don't think he'll do it. I'm not saying it's a massive mistake if he declares. He still could very well go in the first round. But I think if J.J. McCarthy went back and had a dominant season again at Michigan next year, at least in terms of team success, we'd be talking about him in a different light because all he has done at Michigan is win. Just one loss with J.J. McCarthy as their starting quarterback. Let's rip through a few of the draft-eligible guys at Michigan uh, that played last night. In some cases, they starred Mel. And Blake Corum, who is the offensive engine for this team, the heartbeat of this team for the past two years. And what a way for him to conclude his Michigan career. We don't think there is a standout, you know, a B. John Robinson or a Jameer Gibbs in this running back class. But what's the outlook for Blake Corum in your mind? Outlook for Blake Corum is in the third or fourth round. He'll look pretty good. And there's no running back, I think, is close to the first round. Jonathan Brooks, Texas, my number one running back coming yep. off the injury. Blake Corum is slippery in the hole. He has great pace to when he runs with the football. He sets up blocks, and then he has that quickness and that acceleration, okay, and vision. You see it here. So for Blake Corum, third or fourth round, really like the kid. Uh, talk about a competitor he is. And to go back to J.J., the problem with going backfield is you're going to lose a Blake Corum. Yeah. You're going to lose a lot of those offensive linemen. You're going to lose, uh, you know, probably Barner. You're going to lose Roman Wilson. So a lot of the key elements around J.J. McCarthy will be moving on to the National Football League. But in terms of Blake Corum, I think when you look at the running back, spot with Brooks's injury, you could say he's the second highest rated back. You could say he's the fourth or fifth highest rated back. And I think it'll settle in for him being that late day two, early day three pick. And we find running backs every year field to go in that general proximity of the late second, early day three that end up being really good, productive players in the NFL. And Blake Corum should be that type of guy. Not a doubt in my mind. He'll have a game in the 2024 NFL regular season where he gets a chance to start and plays really well. Right, you think about some of the backs that went between the third and the fifth round last year. They got a chance to perform, whether it's a Chase Brown for the Bengals as an example. Like guys like that, when they get opportunities and they had as much college production, the skill set that they do, they tend to make good in the NFL. It's why a lot of NFL teams are dissuaded, like Mel Kiper Jr., from drafting a running back in the first round. Uh, Drake Nugent, uh, maybe one of the more unheralded members of the Michigan offensive line, Mel. You talked about Zach Zinter, who unfortunately is unable to play. Uh, in recent games because of a nasty leg injury. Uh, Drake Nugent transferred from Stanford, his one season at Michigan, way to make it count, win the national championship. Is he a guy that you could see being drafted in the first 100 or so picks? Borderline. I have right now a fifth-round grade on Drake Nugent. I think when you look at him as a solid anchor, Stanford and then Michigan, not elite. I think when you look at that center position, you say, yeah, the guys are going to go in the first couple rounds. Got to be that guy you think could be that Pro Bowl caliber ankle anchor. Whether Drake Nugent can do that is debatable right now, but I do think he can be a starter in the NFL. Does he show that capability on a game-to-game basis at Michigan this year? I thought he did. Uh, I thought that revamped offensive line with all those transfers, he galvanized it. 
it. They came together. They were cohesive. You had Ladarius Henderson coming over at that left tackle spot. Then you had the injury to Zinter. They had to shuffle things around with Barnhart moving inside. You had uh, you know Trevor Keegan as a staple at that guard spot. But you had the new situation with a couple transfers coming in, and he solidified things. So for me, uh, I got right now, like I say, that fourth, fifth round type of grade on Drake Nugent. Uh, like I say, is he a top echelon center that's going to project early? No, but is he a guy who's going to play potentially a long time in the NFL? He could be. Feels like a scheme fit to me, right? The guy's a little under 300 pounds, not a big, overwhelming player, probably just a center, which in the NFL, if you're just a center, unless you're Tyler Linderbaum or something like that, you're probably not going in that first 25 to 30 picks and might end up dropping closer to day three, like you said. But in the right scheme, which is ironic to say this about a Michigan team that was not like an inside or outside zone heavy team, that to me is where Drake Nugent would fit, right? Like you put him in San Francisco, wouldn't surprise me if the guy ends up thriving and starting for six years because of the way that they can turn a very specific type of offensive lineman into a very, very useful player. What's really interesting about this Michigan team, Mal, is that while there are a ton of draft prospects, there might not be a guaranteed lock first round pick. We could talk about a few more, but we have to talk about one of my favorite players in the entire team. To me, the energizer bunny of the Michigan football team, Mikey <laughs> Sanristil, who basically calls game last night with an interception that he returns 81 yards. Washington is driving. It's 27-13 with about four minutes to go, kind of their last gasp effort. And Sanristil, who was a former wide receiver, by the way, at Michigan, takes it back nearly for a touchdown. What do you think is a pro outlook for a guy who is also near and dear to my heart, Mel, because he's from the great state of Massachusetts? Yeah, Field, and I'll tell you what, he reminds me an awful lot of a guy that played at Ole Miss and has had a long career in the NFL. People didn't like him coming into the draft, but Mike Hilton is that yes. kind of guy in that slot corner yep. who can get after the quarterback. He finds a way to show up. Jade Barron is a kid at Texas, is that kind of slot corner as well, who I like coming into the NFL draft. I think he'll be at a, going at a bargain spot in the draft for uh, coming out of Texas, but certainly for Sane was still. Everybody loves Mikey. How can you not love Mikey, right? This guy, every big game that they had, this kid was around the football, wreaking havoc. He was a nightmare for quarterbacks. Come getting after him off the corner, the slot corner blitz. You see him here in coverage, anticipating and breaking on the football. You see him oh, last night coming away with the key interception and taking it down to the five-yard line. In a game that could have been a one-touchdown game, right? became a three-touchdown game. That was a 14-point swing on that same Rastill interception. I really thought, I agree, Will Johnson had that key interception, right? I thought the MVP was going to be Mikey St. Rastill, and he wasn't. It gave it to Will Johnson. Fine, I get it. Yep. But this kid is spunky. He is versatile, and he is a guy that is a big game performer, and a guy that, that you know about Jim Harbaugh raving about J.J. McCarthy? They raved a lot about, Mikey Sangra still as well, and what he meant to this team when he moved from wide receiver to that slot cornerback position. Yeah, not a real big guy, right? 182 pounds. That might be soaking wet, by the way, but he's tough. He's compact. And I, I don't know, Mel, yet, and by the way, he's been doing this for only two years. I don't know that he's the kind of guy that you feel real comfortable in the slot holding up against those shifty wide receivers and man-to-man -man coverage. But I just think every time he's on the field, good things happen. He's a great blitzer. He's got Awesome on-ball production. As you saw last night, when he has the football in his hands, he's got one thing on his mind, and that's six points, right? And this guy is a menace with the football in his hands. I would be willing to bet on him as the kind of player that, even if you draft him as a slot corner, 
Like, he's going to be a maven on special teams. He can return for you. He can play snaps on offense. He did that at Michigan for the first year and a half of his career. So a player that I like probably more than where I think he'll end up being drafted once April rolls around. Uh, Braden McGregor on that defensive line, Mel, one of several guys that will be drafted from that defensive line. And we can talk about Chris Jenkins Jr. in just a bit. Uh, Michigan's defensive line might actually be defined, as you mentioned, by guys who aren't even draft eligible yet. But McGregor, a player who is, don't know if he will or will not declare. What do you think or what do you like about his game? Thought he'd be a little bit better than he was. I think he gives you great effort. He certainly has the ability to move forward and with another year to become a high pick. I think that he would be wise to think about going back. You saw Troy Fatanu, who was a heck of a left tackle. Troy Fatanu is going to be a Pro Bowl guard or maybe even a right tackle. Love that kid. So he's obviously a guy, a great bookend. You're going to have trouble getting after the quarterback from the outside, and Michigan really did. Their interior pressure is what bothered Penix Jr. It was Mason Graham, the true sophomore at defensive tackle, who's a heck of a player and Kenneth Grant, another whale player, true sophomore defensive tackle. But I think Jalen Harrell on the other side, Josiah Stewart, the Coastal Carolina transfer, yep. has an impact on games because he just has a knack for getting after the quarterback as a pass rusher. But to your point about Braden McGregor and going back, I think some of these kids that had that opportunity, unless you're a first, second round pick guaranteed, I'm going back and trying to improve my draft rating. Yeah, McGregor kind of came on strong towards the finish, right? He had those two sacks in that Alabama game after just one and a half sacks in his first 10 games this season. Came into Michigan with a ton of hype, right? This was a highly, and not that Michigan is, is short on, you know, top flight recruits, right? But he was considered one of the best defensive recruits that Michigan landed just a few years ago. Maybe hasn't quite um, fulfilled all the expectations that come with being a five- or four-star player, but uh, has some intriguing traits, a lot of length there at the very least, something to work with as a developmental-type player. Uh, let's put a pin in Michigan with Chris Jenkins Jr., though, just because there is a chance, I think, he's the highest-drafted Michigan player once this draft actually begins. If you're saying to yourself that name sounds familiar, Mel, it's because, of course, his father was a man that you covered you evaluated him coming out of Maryland, and you watch him become an all-pro player in the pros. What is Chris Jenkins Jr.? What does he bring to the table, I should say? Being some scheme versatility and a guy who gives you everything he has. You saw him last night against the run, down the line. He can make plays, and he has that ability, that quickness, and that athleticism to track you down and make that play either on the line of scrimmage, around the line of scrimmage, or behind the line of scrimmage. Pass rush, he needs a little bit of work in that area, but as a guy's going to come in, and I think give you the ability to be in that rotation up front, I think Chris Jenkins right now, to me, field is more of a second-round type of guy. I thought going into the season, maybe he could push his way into the first, but I have a second, third round grade on Chris Jenkins right now. The defensive tackle spot that we thought going into the year was going to maybe provide us with four to five highly rated guys yep. really never materialized. It really didn't. That was a disappointing position based on the hype in August to where we are right now. Chris Jenkins, one of those five or six. But at the end of the day, if you get him at the right point in the draft, this is to say, when you buy is just as important or more important than who you select. Mm. When you buy Chris Jenkins, is going to be very important, I think, to see where he comes off the board if he's in this draft come late April. I will say this quickly on Chris Jenkins, Chris Jenkins Jr. And this is, I think, something that applies to a lot of the Michigan players. He might have been the most selfless player on defense that I watched this year. Because I'm sure there's a part of him that says, let me loose four and a half career sacks for a guy that played a lot for three seasons. And yet in Michigan or at Michigan – they ask you to do your job. They ask you to play selflessly because we got a lot of talent that if we just do the right thing consistently, the results 
can be an undefeated national championship winning season. That's what they brought to the table last night. Jenkins, I think, will become a better pro in terms of sack production. But until you see it, Mel, that's part of the reason why it's hard to rubber stamp him as like a top 20 or so pick, which I thought at the beginning of the season he had a chance to become. Michigan, the champions, they deserve it. Best team from uh, the start to the finish of the college football season. By far, they were the best team in, you know, last night on the field. Uh, a 21-point margin. Maybe it was a little bit closer than it seemed, but still, a dominant performance. And yet, Mel, Washington is the team that might keep us busy over the next three months because they've got some real blue-chip players in the draft. We talk about Michael Penix Jr. already. Let's talk about his favorite target, Roma Dunze, a guy that I know you love. I mean, we all do, but you really love Roma Dunze. I do. I love the consistency feel. There wasn't any game where he was, you know, shut down, locked down, and not a big factor. And uh, the overall approach of Odunze, how competitive he is, he added weight to that frame. Uh, he's got great hands. He can certainly run every route tree you want. He's got everything you want after the catch. He's dynamic as well. You need a punt return, he can take it to the house. He did it earlier this year when they needed him the most. You see him after the catch here getting those yards. He was open several times last night, and unfortunately, Michael Penix Jr. was not on the same page or was inaccurate with those throws to Roma Dunze, or he catches four more passes, maybe for a touchdown or two more, and maybe had those connections taking place. Washington's in that football game, tying that game and making a real challenge for Mission to come out victorious. This was a seven-point game for a long time. He kept saying, oh, he's going to make a play. Penix is going to hit one of those receivers, and we're going to have a tie game. It never happened, but Odunze provided those opportunities. Despite Will Johnson being a lockdown corner, you even saw in the one touchdown to McMillan, Odunze was held or he was going to be wide open. So Will Johnson had a heck of a time with him, and Will Johnson's a great sophomore corner. Odunze is a challenge for everybody when you're manned up against them. I believe it's Marvin Harrison Jr., then Romo Dunze, Malik Neighbors, LSU right in there. But we have three wide receivers that are going to go very high. Marvin Harrison Jr., top five. Romo Dunze and Malik Neighbors probably field top six, seven, eight. So by the eighth, ninth pick, three wide receivers, I think, will be off the board. I'm so glad you used the word consistency with Roma Dunze because there was no stopping him, even when defenses knew exactly what was coming. And it's not just the defensive attention he was receiving, Mel. It's not just the fact that performing in every game is difficult to do. I think about the Oregon State game this year. It was an absolute deluge during that game. I mean, it was pouring like two inches an hour. And nobody... Nobody in the entire game could do anything on offense. The quarterbacks were really struggling. I mean, like two high-level quarterbacks could barely get the ball out. And Roma Dunze had one of the best games of his season. I mean, the guy just does that. He just consistently finds ways to get yards, get open. He's a huge red zone threat with those 13 touchdowns this season. I'm with you. I mean, if he's not in the top 10, I don't know what a top 10 prospect looks like in this year's class. Not too far behind, but probably not quite in that same tier as his teammate, his wide receiver, roommate, that's Jalen Polk, who was just, again, he's, he was been, he's been awesome for so much of this Washington season. A different skill set. What is it, though? Yeah, I'm talking about the size of Texas Tech transfer. You look at him at 6'2", over 200 pounds, and tell you what, he can run the routes as well. You talk about a guy who last night, if the ball placement by Penix Jr. would have been a little bit better, he had, would have had a key reception that game was broken up because the ball placement wasn't great. They say, well, it was a drop. No, it really wasn't. Heck of a play by the defensive back broke that pass up. Jalen Polk is one of those guys, because of the COVID year field, everybody has options. That's yep. why I say if they're in the draft come late April, we'll find that out over the the next couple weeks, correct? So we'll know. But everybody's got an opportunity to go back. And I always say to kids, go back if you're not a defined first or second round pick. 
for Jalen Polk, go back to Washington. You know, Jalen McMillan has a decision to make. He was great early, then he was hurt, then he was really good late. But if you are a kid like Polk, I think going back for another year is beneficial. They're giving you that year. A lot of these kids, you know, have options. Just about every kid we talk about has an option to come into the draft or stay. Sure. That's why I say if they're in the draft. So for Jalen Polk, if he's in the draft, I would say more third round area. If he goes back, he could push his way all the way up, maybe in the 2025 draft into the first round. So I think I, I have him ranked higher than that. I think he's, a, he's a, like a firm second round pick and could maybe work his way up there, Mel. I think the thing about Jalen Polk that I love the most is I know this sounds ridiculous to some people, but I swear this is what NFL talent evader, evaluators will tell you. We want wide receivers that can do two things. We want them to get open. We want them to catch the football. Right? If you can't do either of those two things, Mel, you can't play in our offense. And what is so impressive about Jalen Polk, and you see it in a lot of these highlights that are running right now if you're watching the YouTube stream, we could talk about great catches, the kind of catches that make SportsCenter top 10. But I want a guy who's got grip strength, a guy who every time the ball is put in his catch radius, he comes down with it. And I thought Jalen Polk's flexed some of the most impressive hands in the entire class. And by and it is a loaded, ridiculous wide receiver class, he might have the best. It's probably him, you know, Brock Bowers at tight end, certainly Marvin Harrison Jr. That's kind of the territory that I see him in, hands-wise specifically. He is not the athlete that Roma Dunze is, uh, not the same size. And maybe he does go back for one more year. But I love watching that player. And uh, Will Rogers, the new Washington quarterback, who, of course, transferred there or will be transferring there. I think I saw him last night in a uniform. Could very well have a couple of uh, future star NFL wide receivers at his disposal. Uh, keep it on the offense, skill players. Dylan Johnson, that was guts last night, Mel, from the Washington running back, a guy who also transferred up to the Pacific Northwest. It's not a great running back class, as we just discussed. Is he a draftable commodity in your eyes? Yeah, north-south. Well, he's downhill, and he runs hard, and he's a great kid. Real mature young man, yep. plays hard. You saw him last night, how upset he was on the sidelines dealing with the injury. And he was out there gutting. And how he was able to play, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the production wasn't going to be there against this front seven. You could be 100% field, and when you're running against that group, uh, that front seven, it includes Junior Colson, one of the best off-ball linebackers in this draft, uh, and then all the depth that they have and the way they can run guys in and out on that front seven. Boy, I uh, to gut it out the way he did, and he was banged up a lot this year. So what you saw, even when he was producing big numbers, and he did have a heck of a year. And he can catch the ball out of the backfield, as you said, coming from Mississippi State to Washington. He has shown that capability. You know, he'll handle the blocking responsibilities. To me, as a downhill north-south one-cut runner, uh, you know, this kid has a chance. As I'm more of a middle-round guy, and we always talk about running backs dropping. One of the best running backs in the NFL this year didn't even get drafted. And that was Keaton Mitchell yeah. out of East Carolina to Baltimore Ravens. I saw this kid. He missed early coming back from the injury. Got healthy. Was great. Then he got hurt, unfortunately, late. He's going to be ready to go next year. Keaton Mitchell went overlooked and undrafted. And this kid gave the, the Ravens a fear factor weapon. And I got a kid, Jawar Jordan at Louisville, who could be that type of player. One of the fastest kids you'll find, a heck of a player for Louisville. Jawar Jordan, if he's overlooked, could be this year's version of Keaton Mitchell. But to the, the point about running backs, you can find guys that should have been thirds go in the fifth. Yep. Should have been fourth or fifth go later undrafted. So that's just the nature of the running back spot. And Dylan Johnson, if he gets lost in the shuffle field on day three, we may be talking about this kid in the fifth, sixth round area. 
one of your favorite players in the entire draft. I know because you've been talking about him. You've been raving about him. He's been a top 15 player on your board for quite some time. It's Troy Fatanu, the left tackle for Washington, who might end up at a different position. How do you see his NFL future unfolding? Love this kid. I'll yeah. tell you, you want to have fun watching him. He just beats you up. And I tell you, to do the, and the job that he did at left tackle, uh, he was unfazed. And people say, well, he's going to be a guard. He held up really well at that left yeah. tackle spot. He could be a right tackle in Great. the NFL. And as a guard, he's a plug-and-play pro bowler field. And when you have that kind of – we have Patrick McCarry here at, at Baltimore, right? And he plays everywhere. And when Ronnie Stanley was hurt, he fills in at left tackle, and he holds his own at that left tackle spot. And this is the kind of kid – when you have that ability, that is incredibly valuable to an offensive line coach to have a Troy Fatanu who can play left tackle, right tackle, or guard and do a heck of a job. So I think he's, he's hey, you think about Quentin Nelson. You think about Zach Martin. You think about the kind of guard he can be, pro bowler right away. But as a tackle, I would not write him off at all. Uh, Roger Rosengarten, the right tackle, had a rough fourth quarter, but he's going to go back to Washington and develop, I think, into an early-round pick, possibly in 2025. But for Troy Fatano, you didn't see him have a hiccup last night. You didn't see any. They had a lot of false starts, right, with the offensive lineman. That was the interior of the yeah. line. And, and Rosengarten had the penalty. It wasn't flawless performance by Troy Fatano in a ton of games that I watched. I didn't see a bad performance over two years. So to me, the consistency of Romo Dunze impressed me. The consistency of Troy Fatano also impressed me at left tackle for Washington. I think often about how Panay Sewell has switched from left tackle to right tackle, Mel, and become a Pro Bowl player, probably an all-pro. He's extension eligible now, probably make himself $25 bucks a year this offseason. I think about how impressive it is that he did that he didn't push back on the organization. He didn't say, I'm a left tackle or nothing. There's a certain selflessness that is required to make that transition on top of the skill set that's required to make that transition. I think Troy Fatano, if he's willing to make that transition, which I, you know, based off of the way he plays, the guy's got this, this competitive spirit, which I don't know how often we're talking about a left tackle's competitive spirit. But this guy feels like he's kind of the, the heartbeat of that Washington offense, right? Like, as he goes, so goes the rest of this incredibly potent, high-octane Huskies offense. If he is able to make that transition, if he is willing to make that transition to guard, I'm with you. It wouldn't surprise me if he's a top 15, 16, 18 pick. The reason why people are concerned about him as a left tackle in the NFL is the length is not as conventional as some of the other guys that we're going to talk about at that left tackle spot in this year's draft class. Don't know if it showed up all the time, Mel. I kind of felt like maybe the one, I guess the two games they played, um, where maybe you can see it is Oregon because they've got those two edge rushers who've got such tremendous length, right? I mean, you've got guys in Oregon, they're going to be, you know, second or third round picks that are six foot six, six foot seven, look like the San Francisco 49ers interior D line, but playing on the edge. But if Fatan is willing to play guard, we're talking about an obvious first rounder in both your and my books. Maybe another first-rounder from Washington is Braille and Trice Mel. I don't know what the testing will look like, but I love the player. Yeah, he has that knack of getting off the edge and getting after the quarterback. We saw last night, obviously, you think about where we are with Michigan and that offensive line. It's a talented group there, very cohesive and well-coached uh, group of offensive linemen. So I think when you look at Braylon Trice, you go back, look at the Texas game, how dominant he was there, getting after Quinn Ewers at key moments in that game. He was he, Christian Jones as a one of the senior bowl. He's certainly a guy could figure in that fourth, fifth round area. Uh, he made Christian Jones really struggle at times and gave him a, a a run for his money. You think about Braylon Trice when I watch him, he plays a little high, 
but he has that ability using his hands and certainly has that burst. Once he separates to get to the quarterback, he always plays hard. He'll get you the coverage sacks. He never quits on a play. And he is a guy who will track you down. So I think if you can work with a defensive line coach, improve his technique, get a little bit of a counter move, and certainly get a little, in terms of playing as high, try to tweak that just a bit. There's a lot to work with. I love the attitude, love the approach. Obviously, you talk about a guy who gives you everything he has on every snap. Love that aspect of his performance. So I have a second-round grade right now on Braylon Trice. Some are a little higher than I am on Braylon Trice. I get it. But right now, I have him in the mid to late second-round area. Probably will go just a little bit higher than that. Yeah, he heated up towards the end of this season in terms of sack production. But people who watch Washington consistently will remind you that the guy gets held in every play, or at least he was for much of this past season. So the sack numbers were down relative to expectations coming into the year. I will be fascinated to see how Braille and Trice tests because I don't know that it's going to be the kind of numbers that are typical for a player that ends up in the first 20 to 25 picks at edge rusher. But if he crushes the combine bell, the conversation will be quite a bit different. All right, so there are a lot of guys on Michigan, a lot of guys on Washington. We barely scratched the surface in terms of players that will be drafted from those two teams. But I want to dive into your top 25, which has been updated it's updated all the time, but a couple of players that are seeing their stock go up, a couple that are seeing their stock go down, and perhaps the biggest riser would appear on your top 25 is Brian Thomas Jr., the other LSU wide receiver, who's now number 17 on your board. Why the big jump for him? Just went back and kept studying the kid and liked what I saw. I mean, he's a guy, he gets that late separation with his size and his frame. He has a nightmare to try to match up with. And obviously, Malik Neighbors on the other side, we talked about as a top 10 pick, great football player. Jaden Daniels, obviously a quarterback the last two years. He will get the ball to these receivers and hit them in stride. See him in competitive uh, situations, contested situations. He will just outduel that cornerback for the football. I talk about late separation. He gets it, throw it up, and he will hands catch it. This kid, is a guy, we talk about testing. We have to see what the combine numbers, the pro day numbers are for these players at a variety of positions, but certainly a wide receiver like Brian Thomas Jr. If you're going to say, well, it's a Keon Coleman's locked in out of Florida State that had fourth wide receiver spot, I would say, wait a minute. Not so fast because Brian Thomas Jr. could be that guy. Best deep threat in the draft. I don't think it's a question. The best deep threat in the draft. And by the way, that shows up all over the tape mail. It also can be explained in a couple of numbers. 17.3 yards per reception, 17 receiving touchdowns. Nobody in the country had more receiving touchdowns than Brian Thomas Jr. this season. Again, he is the other guy in that offense because Malik Neighbors, as we have both mentioned, is a probable, maybe even likely top five, six, seven pick at worst. But Brian Thomas Jr., if he runs what we think he might run at six foot four, 195, maybe 205 pounds, I mean, just look at the history of players with production at that size and that speed. Those guys tend to find a way into the first round of the NFL draft. Uh, Tavondre Sweat from Texas Mail, also rising up boards a little bit for you. Now number 19. He was previously 21. Now he's 19. What's going on there? I like a big kid who can be disruptive behind the line of scrimmage field and be a guy you're not going to run the football against a Texas Longhorn offense, a defense that has that capability with Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy the second. That's why you had to throw it and you had some success throwing the football against Texas, but Tavondre Sweat 
and Byron Murphy really just completely collapsed that interior. That was a brick wall to try to run against. And I don't like stay-at-home types that just can't get after the quarterback. This isn't 1985. Devondre Sweat's got to give you some penetration. He's got to be disruptive. As you see here, getting after the quarterback, he can do exactly that. <clears throat> field, he can get after the quarterback, and that's going to be critical in this day and age in the NFL. I'm probably a little higher on Devontae Sweat than some people are. I have a first-round grade on him. Where do you have him right now, Field? Yeah, Mel, he's probably going to be on the borderline of my top 25 for prospects, and here's the reason why. Devontae Sweat's dominance was the most dominant of any defensive player that I watched in the draft this year. At his very best, he is completely overwhelming, and there is no answer for him. The Oklahoma game, the Red River rivalry, the biggest game of the year during the regular season for Texas, you can't block him, right? Last week against, against Washington in the playoffs, again, on certain snaps, he's unblockable. The question that I will keep coming back to with Devondre Sweat, I mean, he's so powerful. I mean, the power is rare. 362 pounds, dominant pass rusher at times, dominant run stuffer pretty much all the time. The question will be, how many snaps can a guy like that consistently play in the NFL? You just don't find that many guys at 350-plus pounds who are on the field for 60, 65, 70% of the snaps. Haloti Natas go to the maybe the Hall of Fame one day because they can hold up for that many snaps game in and game out. Uh, so I want to remind people that when you're trying to decide between a player being like you know 21 versus 28, it's often very difficult, so you're looking for those tiebreakers. The tiebreaker for me with Devondre Sweat would be just the questions about whether he is a 40% of the playtime guy or is he a 60 to 65% of the playtime guy. If you get that kind of yeah. consistency from Devondre Sweat, he'd be a steal at 28 to 35. Yeah, Jordan Davis coming out of Georgia to the yeah. Philadelphia Eagles field. I think the, the ability to free up those linebackers, the flow to the football, occupy and free them up is so critical to a linebacker being productive from that inside linebacker spot. Tavondre Sweat can do exactly that. But he's athletic as all get out, as we saw with that touch. I mean, the guy caught it. Actually, two Texas defensive tackles scored a touchdown this season. Byron Murphy, who actually might be higher my big board. The other Texas defensive tackle. Might be higher my big board by the time yep. it's all said and done, Mel. The guy had an unbelievable season. He was unreal against Washington just a week ago. An outstanding prospect in his own right. A couple of droppers here. No major, major drops here, Mel, but a couple of Alabama players. <coughs> Casey Latham, the right tackle, and then Kool-Aid McKinstry, the cornerback, who uh, is a really, really good player. Doesn't feel like this year quite lived up to expectations. What happened with J.C. Latham dropping from 20 to 24? Yeah, he had that one hiccup. I got a little bit of a tickle going here, too, Field. And J.C. Latham had a little bit of that hiccup as well uh, Yeah, for Alabama. But overall, as a right tackle, I think he's a guy, plug-and-play right tackle, very experienced player, very technically sound. You go back even to the Texas game. Remember when uh, Bryce Young was quarterback in, uh, two years ago? He had that holding penalty. It wasn't called on that scramble that set up that field goal. But overall, outside of a hiccup or two for J.C. Latham, very solid, very reliable, very consistent player, Field. Like what I've seen of him, I think he's a first-round pick. You think about where uh, the right tackle spot is right now. Hey, you have pass rushers on both sides now. This notion about you got to have the left tackle. You better have a right tackle to protect as well. J.C. Latham can be a complete player in the National Football League. For Kool-Aid McKinstry, I think you look at Kool-Aid as a cornerback who may not be locked down, and we have a debate going on there that whether Terry and Arnold, the other Alabama corner, 
who is the better player moving forward. I have Kool-Aid slightly ahead of, of Terry and Arnold. Terry and Arnold gets a little handsy, a little grabby at times. But Kool-Aid McKinstry came in highly rated. He has a guy, the ability after the catch. You see the punt return ability at Alabama. After the catch, he can do what Mike DeSandra still did last night. He can take it to the house. I think when you look at these corners in the NFL, they have to adapt to a different way of doing things. The mode of operation has to be a little different than in the collegiate level where you get away with being handsy and grabby, right? And Nick Saban is a tremendous defensive back coach. That was his forte coming into the coaching ranks. It has been throughout his career as well, as well as being the number one head coach of all time at the collegiate level. And by the way, what he did, seven of eight top tacklers moved on, right? He lost his quarterback, Bryce Young, his running back, uh, Jameer Gibbs, tight end, three offensive linemen, and both coordinators, and they get you to the playoff. That's why Nick Saban is the greatest of all time. But for Kool-Aid and Terry and Arnold, adapting and changing, like I say, how they went about their business in college to what they need to do in the NFL so you won't see a lot of penalty flags thrown is something all these young cornerbacks need to work on. I've got Terry and Arnold quite a few spots higher than Kool-Aid McKinstry. I guess quite a few spots is a little bit of a dramatic overstatement. Both of my top 25, but Terry and Arnold – was my clear preference by the end of this season, Mel. I think that the big defining factor for me with Kool-Aid McKinstry will end up being what he runs. Because where what he isn't is he's not this overwhelmingly physical corner, right? I mean, he's going to win because he's got these loose hips, he's fluid, kind of your pure conventional cover corner. What Terry Arnold is, is kind of this dog, right? Like, plays through the ball at every snap. You mentioned a little bit physical, maybe too physical at times. That could catch up to him in the NFL. The instincts are terrific for Terry and Arnold. If Kool-Aid McKinstry runs like, you know, 4-3-5, game back on, right? If he does not run this blazing 40 time, then there'll be some more questions about just how much value there is for a guy who's not overwhelmingly physical in an NFL where we see all of these wide receivers. I mean, we talked about Roma Dunze, he's huge, and Marvin Harrison Jr., and six foot four, 205 pound Brian Thomas, and you got guys who are already in the NFL. You've got players like Jamar Chase, is a big physical guy, and Mike Evans is a veteran physical guy. They're all over the NFL. These players who are almost built like old school tight ends now playing wide receiver. Uh, the top 25 for Mel is always available on ESPN.com, so you can find risers and fallers. Uh, Mel, only like 120 days or 110 days until the 2024 NFL Draft. I know you and I can't wait. We're about to be very busy, though. Mondays and Thursdays, check us out here on First Draft. Mel, you're the best. I know you're busy on TV today. Enjoy the rest of it. And we are officially in the draft season, my friend. Always a pleasure, Field. Great job, my friend. We'll be back, like I said. Look, excited for Thursday. Can't wait. All righty. We'll talk to you guys soon here on First Draft.